Welcome to From Lab to Life. I'm Alison Rogers. In this episode, Chasing the Money, we meet the candidates vying for one of the most prestigious research fellowships in Australia. The fellowships are administered by the Viertel Foundation. More about that in a moment. One of those fellowships is the Belbury Viertel Fellowship, which is Belbury's flagship philanthropic program. Belbury CEO Kylie Sproston explains why it's so important. Belbury's have these two core objectives to protect the welfare of research participants and to improve the quality, efficiency and effectiveness of research. When we think about those dual objectives, we actually run a broad range of philanthropy that collectively aims to address those objectives and, and to make an impact. We'd identified that the early to mid-career phase is, is really challenging here in Australia. And so the idea was put on the table to move towards a five-year research fellowship. When we looked at what was out there in the Australian sector at that time, really the Viettel fellowships supported by equity trustees were an absolutely standout program. They were fairly unique here in the Australian environment at the time, incredibly robustly run with an outstanding medical advisory board who were responsible for undertaking the selection process. Supporting this mid-career phase of development is, is part of making sure that Australia has a really strong and vibrant and talented community of researchers in the country. And that's part of what we see as being important to make sure that Australia continues to be a great place to conduct research going forward. In October 2023, five shortlisted candidates spent two days in Brisbane facing a gruelling selection process, hopeful that they would be one of the lucky ones to receive those five precious years of funding to help their medical research. So what's the story behind the Viertel Foundation? Grant Hooper is the National Manager of Social Impact at Equity Trustees, one of the four trustees that manage the Viertel Foundation. Charles Viertel was uh, probably one of the most successful investors in Queensland and made enormous wealth by the standards of the day. But upon his death, he chose to leave um, a very significant proportion of his wealth to the Australian community through the Vertel Foundation. He nominated some trustees for that uh, foundation and gave them some broad guidance on what he wanted them to do with the money. He expressed an interest in medical research and more broadly in charitable endeavours in Australia, but particularly in Queensland. For around 28 years, the Viertel Foundation has had a medical awards program in place. Grant explains there are two elements. One is, at the moment, each year they award um, up to five clinical investigator awards. They're one-off awards for $90,000 each for um, clinician researchers. Uh, and then the major component of the medical awards program is the awarding of the senior medical research fellowships. Both of those together are designed um, really to deliver on the foundation's desire to support medical research and health in Australia. So to build the capacity of the Australian sector and really support great science and great um, medical and health outcomes in Australia. So the Senior Medical Research Fellowship provides five years of funding for the scientists and there's a fair bit of freedom in that. So there's a salary component, but then there is a fair bit of freedom in how they can spend the, the funds in order to best advance their careers and best advance their research more importantly. And it really is an investment in the scientist and their career. From the outset, the foundation has sought to have really eminent scientists 
on the advisory board. So the trustees of the foundation um, have appointed an advisory board to design and run the selection process and to make the recommendations to them about who should receive the awards. And you, you've typically got heads of institutes and, and you know, if not world-renowned, then certainly Australian leaders in their fields. And pleasingly, we've also now got at least a couple of past fellows who are sitting on that advisory board as well. One of the members of the Medical Advisory Board is Paul Eckert. He's Deputy Director of the Children's Cancer Institute in Sydney. He's also co-chair of the board that selects the recipients of the medical fellowships. And he won one of these fellowships some 15 years ago. You know, that award actually was, at that time in my career, the most important um, award and fellowship that I'd ever one, it provided me with independence. So I was financially independent within my institutes. I was paying my way, but also it was covering the real costs of doing the research. So I could employ another scientist to work with me because science is a team endeavor. And so we could build really a program and I had some freedom to follow my vision. And what that freedom means is that I wasn't necessarily locked into short-term funding contracts. I had a way to prosecute my, my vision. And I think that's one element of the significance. And the other element is that it is a prestigious award. So people look at those who win VTL fellowships and think, well, this is obviously somebody who's has some qualities to them that are um, worth investing in. So it sets you up in many respects for, for future success as well. Being awarded this sort of fellowship is a game changer. It's widely acknowledged that to make the final shortlist, you must be exceptional. So what is the board looking for in successful candidates? Paul Eckert. There are several criteria. One, one is that the science that they do captures the imagination of the medical advisory board members, even if it's not in their area. So there's something about the science that has an element of big picture, of impact for health because these are health-related fellowships so that, that the work, even if it's very fundamental science, and a lot of us are fundamental scientists, still we can see you know, that pathway forward to, to significant impacts. We're looking for a candidate who's got some imagination and vision, right? So we, we want people who can excite us and interest us in their work and tell us why you know, we should fund them. All the candidates, by the time they get to interview, have been, if you like, heavily scrutinised. They've been externally reviewed. This really is the cream of a significant uh, crop that, that applies in the first place. So we have confidence that we've got good people. So this is more about that extra, extra bit. If we were on a cooking show, we'd call it the wow factor, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but not just that. I'm not saying it's not a garnish on a plate, but this is something that, that captures our imagination as well. And that it means something, you know, in the long term to, to the community. Just who are these extraordinary individuals? Let's meet them. So my name is Patricia Rilling. I'm a researcher at Monash University in Melbourne. Uh, my research focus is trying to understand how the cells of our body communicate to the immune system that they have an infection or need to be removed and how we can better understand this to improve our immune response. What I'm really interested in is how our cells dress themselves up, up to show the immune system what's going on inside. And so all of our cells are constantly 
displaying on their surface peptides, which are signals of what's going on inside the cell. And so when we've got a virus infection, parts of the virus end up on the surface of the cell. And so my work is to understand what those parts of the virus are, understand how our immune system chooses which of these to respond to, and, and to understand whether there's gaps and that we could utilise better. It's different parts of the virus that end up on the surface, and this is actually dependent on our own genetic makeup as well. So we each have a protein, it's known as a human leukocyte antigen, and we have different variations of that on the surface of our cells. And this is what's binding bits of the virus and showing them. And so you'll be showing different parts of the virus probably to what I am. And so it's understanding what those are between different people and, and how we can actually utilise this. In terms of your research, if everything went according to plan and, and the research yielded the sort of results that you were hoping for, what are the broader implications? I hope that what I'm doing is actually going to provide us with targets that could be used to improve the immune response. So, you know, down the line could be utilised towards uh, vaccination technologies. If you got this at this point in your career, what sort of difference do you think it would make? There's a number of people that I've seen over my career who actually have received these fellowships. I've been very privileged to receive mentorship from some of them and to see what, what they've done. It would give me a real chance to, to focus and, and to really drive this. I think it is, it's an incredible opportunity. It's a five-year fellowship and that just gives a lot of freedom to just get down and do the work. My name's Simon Foster. I'm a cardiovascular researcher and pharmacologist based here in Brisbane at the QIMR Berghofer. My research focuses on cardiac fibrosis or scarring that occurs in the heart during cardiovascular disease. And this is really a major issue, it's staggering. Almost half of Australians are living with some form of cardiovascular disease or will during their life. And unfortunately, the therapies or treatments for this cardiovascular disease are just not sufficient. They only treat the um, symptoms of disease and not the underlying cause. Because my interest lies in drug discovery and really understanding the fundamental basis for, for disease processes, I think that there's enormous opportunities uh, to really make impact in this space. The idea is that I would develop uh, new therapies to treat cardiovascular disease. Are you looking at ways to actually repair the scarring? Absolutely. So the scarring occurs after an injury or insult. And, and one of the best examples of that is following a heart attack. And a heart attack really results because the blood doesn't get enough oxygen to maintain its contractile function, to essentially pump blood around the body. And the problem with the heart the contractile cells are called cardiac myocytes. These cells, uh, when they don't have enough oxygen, they actually die and they don't regenerate. And instead, they're replaced by uh, proteins that form this scar. And that scar is less contractile than the myocytes are. So it actually sets in train this process where you have compromised uh, contractile function of the heart. And unfortunately, uh, it doesn't repair like a, a typical wound uh, on the skin, for example. So yes, you're absolutely right. What the, the real goal of, the, of my work is to develop new approaches to prevent the formation of this scar or ideally reverse it um, in uh, following cardiac injury. 
you will find out in a few hours whether you're one of those people that is successful in, in receiving uh, a fellowship. What sort of difference would it make? I think that the opportunity and the security of a five-year uh, fellowship would be really game-changing. So professionally, it would enable me to consolidate my research program and really take that to the next level. It would provide opportunities to build my team and, and really establish myself as a leader in Australian uh, cardiovascular and drug discovery science. So my name is Boris Novakovic. I'm a team leader at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne. And I'm an epigeneticist, and that's a scientist that looks at uh, the way our DNA is interpreted. So I studied the epigenome, which are little chemical marks that control which part of the DNA is open and which part of the DNA is closed. And we can sort of think of these epigenetics marks as punctuation marks to the letters of the DNA. And I use epigenetic techniques uh, to see how childhood inflammatory diseases develop and how children that have these diseases respond to therapy. So basically, a lot of childhood diseases and complex adult diseases have inflammation as a primary mechanism. Uh, and there's a lot of common pathways between these diseases. So in particular, I'm looking at juvenile arthritis, which is a childhood inflammatory disease, and it's an autoimmune disease. And what I'm hoping that we can do by using epigenetics is that once we find pathways that push these cells towards a disease state, we can figure out a way to push them back. And that's the beauty of epigenetics. Uh, these marks can be uh, added or taken away. They can be uh, reversed, and that's what we're hoping to do. So. If we can reverse these marks, potentially we can alleviate the symptoms and also the burden on the uh, children. And potentially if it works in this disease, like I said, because inflammation is common to a lot of different diseases, it might be uh, applicable more broadly. Why did Boris apply for the fellowship? When I look at the past winners, it's, you know, um, many really highly uh, successful scientists. A lot of uh, my heroes in the list, definitely in the field of epigenetics have received this award in the past. In a sense, I guess it's something that every researcher in Australia would love to get. And that's, you know, when you get to a certain stage, at about this sort of 10 years post-PhD, when you're starting to create an uh, independent career and have your own team, uh, it's really important uh, to have these sort of fellowships that give you this uh, long-term security to be able to explore potentially more risky areas of research. Is it uncomfortable to be in the same room with the people you're all vying to get the same thing well that that's you, you would think so right you would you would think maybe that's the case but not at all but i think there's a mutual understanding that this is uh you know that having a successful career in science takes a lot of time and effort uh that getting these grants sometimes falls down to you know just one or two opinions so it's actually really nice to speak to my other candidates see that they have the same sort of um, goals for example my name's Associate Professor Daniel Polici. I'm a group leader. I head a lab at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and my lab is actually focused on understanding uh, the immune response to infectious diseases. There are lots of infectious diseases that um, still kill a lot of people. This is before COVID uh, came along, and, and maybe uh, most Australians might not appreciate how bad the, the situation is, particularly in and low and middle income countries, but also from uh, Indigenous Australians as well. And I think what my research uh, is really focused on is trying to come up with new ways of vaccines to prevent against some of these, you know, very deadly uh, infectious diseases. 
Group A streptococcus and tuberculosis, they're my uh, two major uh, types of infectious diseases that I'm focused on because these are the biggest killers. So before COVID came along, TB uh, was killing 1.5 million people per year. The vaccine that is available is called BCG, and it was actually um, first went into arms in the early 1920s, and it basically has not done its job. There's 2 billion people in the world, about a third of the people that are actually infected with TB. And this causes about 10 million people to be seriously sick per year, and 1.5 million of those people die. And, you know, I feel like I'm obligated to actually do something as a scientist to stop this infectious disease once and for all. To even be shortlisted and to get this far is such, um, it, it, it's so humbling for me and to be held in the same esteem as some of those other uh, researchers that have gone on to, to have really massive careers, uh, particularly in immunology, uh, that's just phenomenal. A couple of the candidates talk about feeling the imposter syndrome. Are they worthy of receiving such prize funding? Dan gives his thoughts. I, I, typically, I, I don't really doubt myself, but when you're, you know, taken into situations like this where, you know, you've kind of got an interview for this prestigious fellowship, <laughs> you really, oh, wow, the, the thoughts that do run in your head is, am I good enough to compete uh, with the other people here? How am I, how am I going to do? You kind of forget about that you've had 10 years of successfully producing very high impact papers in the field. <laughs> Some of the fears kind of, you get swept up in. So it's certainly been a hell of an experience <laughs> over the last 48 hours. Yes, I am Dr. Jennifer Juno. I'm a laboratory head at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity in Melbourne, Victoria. And I'm interested in understanding the immune response to viral infection and vaccination. I'm really interested in understanding how our immune systems protect us from infections and how we can use that information to develop better vaccines. And so I started my career working in HIV and trying to understand how HIV causes immune dysregulation. And then I moved into tuberculosis and trying to sort of tackle that challenge. And now I'm really focused on respiratory viruses like influenza and, and SARS-CoV-2, really with the goal of understanding how we can take better advantage of our immune responses to develop more effective vaccines for pathogens that have not had vaccine successes so far and also for emerging pathogens like SARS-CoV-2. So really my goal is to sort of rethink aspects of vaccine development. I think there are types of immune responses and parts of our immune system that we can focus on more than we have in the past and really use that to enhance vaccines. So in five or 10 years, I would really hope that we can say, okay, we've developed a new way of designing a vaccine that does a better job at eliciting protective immunity. And that hopefully that's a strategy that we can actually test in the clinic and move into human trials and that will really change how we develop vaccines in, in the future. What difference would it make if you did get this? It would be amazing recognition. It would feel, be a real honour to have someone saying, you know, we recognise the work that you're doing, that your team's doing. But it also really allows you to develop and grow a group and a team of people who can push forward the boundaries of science. And so it's an amazing opportunity. 
to really establish a group and to establish yourself as a new investigator moving forward. And I did a lot of work during the COVID pandemic and we've learned you know, just a massive amount over the last few years. And so for me, this would really be an opportunity to carry that momentum forward and to really take advantage of everything that we've learned and now start applying it to new facets of immunology and new aspects of human health. And I think so it's a kind of a critical moment for the program in a way and that support would just be incredible and in giving us the opportunity to move that forward. Originally, there were only two fellowships available, but in recent years, there's been the ability to offer a third one, a move that Grant Hooper welcomes. Knowing that there is significant demand for these awards and the Foundation has a desire to see science and medicine advance in this country, we were really delighted to be approached by Belbury about partnering or collaborating to provide an additional award. Rather than the Foundation funding two awards every year, it is able to offer three awards through this collaboration with Belbury. Belbury hasn't come in and said, oh, we want to change things. They've actually took time before deciding how they were going to engage with the sector to find what they thought was the best process. And, um, you know, really pleased that uh, they have seen that in the Vertel Senior Medical Research Fellowships. We've met our five candidates. What's the process they undergo before the board selects three out of the five, to receive the fellowships. Paul Eckert. We invite all the candidates to uh, talk to us about their research, their vision, and to some degree about, about themselves. But mostly what we're interested in on the first day, which is when they come and give us a, a talk, is in their science and in their research. We want to give them an opportunity to explain it to us face to face, because whilst our medical advisory board has expertise across a range of things, you know, sometimes those messages can be better communicated directly to us face to face by those scientists. So we listen to them talk and then the following days we will have a direct interview. So we'll give the candidates an opportunity to tell us, you know, what difference they think the VTEL Fellowship will make for them. There'll be some further questioning around elements of the science and the presentations yesterday and then a series of questions where we try and understand the potential fellows uh, vision of, of what they want to do, you know, who they admire in science, what their engagement with the rest of the scientific community and the public is. And then after all of that, we have a very difficult decision because we're, we have candidates of such high quality that we need to rank them. Three of today's candidates will um, get a fellowship, which we hope will be life and career changing for them. We're talking to the candidates on the second day, just after each of them have finished their interview with the board. They've heard each other's presentations. How difficult is it to eyeball your competition? Jennifer Juno. It's really been an incredible experience. I think it's fantastic to see the science that's being done by the other applicants and everyone has amazing programs and there's a real diversity um, in the, the science that's here this year, which is fantastic to see. I feel like I've just learned so much from going through the process and also how to manage the stress. Simon Foster agrees, it's been rewarding. The process has been enjoyable, not just for those interactions with the other candidates, but also with the Medical Advisory Board. These are absolute leaders in Australian science across many different fields. And it's been a pleasure to interact with, with these people over the two days. Boris Novakovic says it's an affirming process. Just to apply for this fellowship means that you think you have a chance and then to actually get to this point, you know, I just feel quite lucky to have been in this, in this, uh, in this process, regardless of the outcome. 
uh, it's nice to just be, uh, to know that you belong in a group of exceptional individuals. Uh, that includes both the, uh, the advisory board as well as the other candidates. And you sort of see yourself in this circle of successful individuals, uh, regardless of the outcome, it gives you a lot of confidence that you're doing things right. Patricia Illing says there's a level of camaraderie among the candidates. You know, you walk into the room and it feels like a community. There will be people that are disappointed and we are in a society where some people get a grant, other, other people don't. It's actually something that we're quite used to. But yeah, it's, it's nice to actually see the faces that you're up against and, and hear what they're doing and, and know that it's good work coming through. It's tough out there when it comes to gaining research funding. That's why this sort of fellowship is so sought after. Dan Polici. Funding is, is challenging in Australia and to be given a five-year fellowship like this really would enable me and my lab to really focus on the job at hand. And I think that's something that um, is increasingly hard to do in the, in the current funding environment. Researchers get used to rejection no matter how deserving the project. Often they're unsuccessful. Dan again. You know, it can be kind of demoralising. It could be a rejection of a grant that you've, you know, you've worked your butt off. But I think it is part of the job. So I think you have to um, deal with the blows and you've got to put one step in front of the other and you've got to realise that the job you're doing is actually kind of making a really important difference. And, you know, whenever I kind of have those slip ups, I, I can really work myself back into the research pretty easy and, and immerse myself in it. And it, you know, I love research and I think it, it just helps me to realign. Boris reflects on how researchers are used to competing against each other. When you see people that you see that have produced quality research uh, and you regard them highly, and you can have that conversation with them, and you sort of see that both of us feel the same way. You know, if someone saw my CV without knowing me, they might say, well, you know, these guys are much better than me. Or I might look at their CV and say, wow, this person is, you know, amazing. And I think there's that bit of self-doubt that, you know, everyone is better, but maybe you don't quite belong. And I guess that's um, maybe a bit of a defense mechanism because you know that sometimes um, if you really invest yourself and you think I really deserve this and I think it'll be amazing if, if I can do this research and you miss out on a grant, uh, it can feel um, very disappointing. Jennifer says the kudos attached to the Viettel Foundation Fellowship is significant. If you look at the, the lists of past winners, they are absolutely amazing scientists and they're, they're giants in their fields. And so it's an incredibly elite and prestigious group of people that you're joining. And I think it would give that opportunity and that stability to say, okay, I have five years now to do something. And it's not just about supporting me, it's about supporting the team of people and the trainees that I'm mentoring and saying, okay, let's take some risks with our program and let's really push things forward. Simon explains what drew him to the Viettel Fellowship. So the Viettel Fellowship is very prestigious, but that wasn't really the driver for me to apply. It was more the fact that it's a five-year fellowship and it really would provide the security and the opportunity to take my research to the next level. And the funding situation's very tight in Australia, uh, so these kind of opportunities are quite rare. And not only that, the spirit in which the Viettel Foundation was created resonates with me. To be honest, I don't think that there is a wrong answer for the, for the Board of Trustees and, and the Medical Advisory Board to make here. I think um, all of the applicants would be fantastic. So now the moment we've been waiting for, to find out who are the successful recipients of these much prized and prestigious fellowships. So Grant, finally, I've spoken to all of the 
people that were on the shortlist and, and now you actually have the results. Would you care to, to give us a bit of a reveal on, on who were the lucky recipients? Yeah, uh, I'd be delighted to. Um, you know, three fantastic scientists, really five fantastic scientists. And this is something um, that I've had the privilege to witness as a non-scientist myself. Each year we, we get to see this process happen and those who miss out on the fellowship are, are genuinely unlucky. So this year, uh, the three recipients in no particular order, Jennifer Juno, Dan Polici, and Simon Foster. Simon is the recipient of the Belbury Vertel Fellowship. Uh, and again, they're all ranked equally, those fellowships. The three fellowships are worth the same amount of money and have the same status. There's a discussion that happens amongst the advisory board and the Belbury representative to determine who gets which award, but it is important to know that they're all of equal standing. Kylie Sprostern says the calibre of the shortlisted finalists is just extraordinary. The very first time we supported a Belbury Viettel Fellowship, I came back to the board and I said to the board, you would not believe the profile of candidate number four who missed out and candidate number five who missed out. The reality is that all of these candidates are absolutely incredible researchers at the very top of their game. And that was really a game-changing moment for our board. You know, it really changed our thinking to how much further would we have to grow our organisation to be able to support another fellowship. For other organisations thinking about supporting research, I just would encourage them to think about jumping on existing infrastructure. These are absolutely phenomenal candidates and, and if only we had further funding, we could stretch the fellowships further. Kylie Sproston. Congratulations to the five candidates who achieved the shortlist. No mean feat. Also to the 2023 recipients, Jennifer, Dan and Simon. And thanks to everyone who graciously agreed to talk with me at a time when their stress levels were running high. You've been listening to From Lab to Life. I'm Alison Rogers. Join me next time when we investigate the wicked problems around accelerated access to new medicines. This podcast is made possible by Belbury. Yeah.